This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. How many Catholics will be excluded from the supposedly inclusive synod on synodality? Pope Francis has convoked a synod on synodality, which is meeting as this podcast premieres. Many faithful Catholics have expressed concern over the synod, as its promoters have proposed severe and potentially destructive changes to the Church's structure. Synod leaders have repeatedly expressed their desire to discuss inclusion. The following article, taken from the recently published book, The Synodal Process is a Pandora's Box, by Jose Antonio Ureta and Julio Laredo, explains what the word inclusion means for the Synod's promoters. This excerpt, published under the title Radical Inclusion, the key to understanding the coming synod explains the promise and how the synod itself falls short. Despite the importance the synodal process attaches to the imperative inclusion, none of the official documents define this term. The assumption seems to be that since synodality supposedly consists in journeying together, all humanity must participate in that journey, excluding no one. Seeing as there is no religious definition of inclusion, we suppose that the drafters of the synodal documents employ it in its modern meaning in civil society. The practice or policy of providing equal access to opportunities and resources for people who might otherwise be excluded or marginalized. While this term is often used as a synonym for integration, there is an important difference, because integration implies adapting individuals to the characteristics of the environment, while inclusion is based on the adaptation of social norms, policies, and realities to allow integrating all members of a society in a diverse manner. That is, Sacrificing the collective identity to accept everyone as is for the sake of diversity. Gavin Ashenden, former Anglican bishop and chaplain to Queen Elizabeth II, a convert to Catholicism and now vice director of the well-known Catholic Herald Daily, denounced the Synod's working document for the continental stage as a Trojan horse. It seeks to manipulate people's minds by playing with talismanic words such as diversity, inclusion, and equality. He writes, quote, The trick is very simple. It sets out to use a word that looks very attractive at first sight, but contains a hidden twist, so that it ends up meaning something different, perhaps even the opposite. Unquote. With great insight, Ashenden continues, The document is called Enlarge the Space of Your Tent, a reference to Isaiah chapter 54, verse 2. The controlling idea it sets out to implement is that of radical inclusion. The tent is presented as a place of radical inclusion from which no one is excluded, and this idea serves as a hermeneutical key to interpreting the whole document. The word's trick is easily explained. The association with being excluded is being unloved. Since God is love, 
He obviously doesn't want anyone to experience being unloved and therefore excluded. Ergo, God, who is love, must be in favor of radical inclusion. Consequently, the language of hell and judgment in the New Testament must be some form of aberrational hyperbole, which must not be taken seriously, because the idea of God as inclusive love takes precedence. And since these two concepts are mutually contradictory, one of them has to go. Inclusion stays, judgment and hell go which is another way of saying Jesus goes and Marx stays. This is then applied to overturn all the church's dogmatic and ethical teaching. Women are no longer to be excluded from ordination, LGBT relationships are to be recognized as marriage, and then the real extension of the progressive ambition breaks the surface as there is the suggestion that polygamists are reached out to and drawn within the tent of the church. It would be a serious mistake not to realize that the progressive liberal mindset wants to change the ethics of the faith. So it replaces the categories of holiness and sin with inclusion and alienation. The roots of this usage of the term alienation are, of course, found in Marx. Unquote. According to the Synod's promoters, the path toward greater inclusion, quote, begins with listening and requires a broader and deeper conversion of attitudes and structures. This conversion... The working document continues, translates into an equally continuous reform of the church, its structures, and style. Unquote. One of the synodal process's main goals is quote, to renew our mentalities and our ecclesial structures, which will naturally call for a renewal of structures at various levels of the church. Unquote. The well-known American canonist and religious analyst, Father Gerald E. Murray, rightly observes that the inclusion of those marginalized minorities would have the immediate consequence of discarding teachings that contradict the beliefs and desires of those living in adulterous second marriages, men who have two or three or more wives, homosexuals and bisexuals, people who believe that they are not the sex they were born as, women who want to be ordained deacons and priests, lay people who want the authority given by God to bishops and priests. And he concludes, there is plainly an open revolution going on in the church today, an attempt to convince us that an embrace of heresy and immorality is not sinful, but rather a response to the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking through people who feel marginalized by a church that has, up to now, been unfaithful in its mission. For decades, the so-called liberation theologians had begun to broaden the Marxist concept of the poor, that is, the materially dispossessed, to include any category that supposedly feels oppressed, such as women, indigenous peoples, blacks, homosexuals, and so forth. 
In light of the synodal journey, the synthesis of the continental stage of the Synod for Latin America and the Caribbean, strongly influenced by liberation theology, again proposes the old idea of the Church of the Poor, or the People's Church. Speaking of a church that is a refuge for the wounded and the broken, one would say the oppressed, the Latin American document affirms, quote, It is important that in the synodal process we dare to bring up and discern great themes that are often forgotten or pushed aside and to meet the other and all those who are part of the human family and are often marginalized, even in our church. Several appeals remind us that, in the spirit of Jesus, we must include the poor, LGTBIQ plus communities, couples in a second union, priests who want to return to the church in their new situation, women who have abortions out of fear, prisoners, the sick. It is about walking together in a synodal church that listens to all kinds of exiles so that they feel at home a church that is a refuge for the wounded and the broken. Unquote. As we can see, the word inclusion's dangerous ambiguity sets the stage for radical upheavals that will take the church leftward. However, there is one group that has been largely excluded by the process. Mr. John Horvat describes those shut out of the synod experience in his essay, Confessions of a Radically Excluded Catholic. One thing that characterizes the coming synod of synodality is its emphasis on listening to other voices. All voices. Catholics are told that the Spirit speaks through all who are marginalized and excluded. Thus, listening to the widest variety of voices is necessary. In becoming a listening church, the people of God can walk together on the synodal path to a new evangelization. Synod organizers insist on what they call radical inclusion. No one is excluded. Everyone, everyone, everyone is how, in Lisbon, Pope Francis expressed his desire to see the church expand the space in her tent. Everyone means every single person. Synod documents declare the need to listen to those who don't agree with the church, like atheists, those who have left the faith, or people of other religions. It also includes those who do not live according to Catholic morality, like so-called remarried divorcees, LGBTQ individuals in same-sex unions, and those cohabitating. Everyone. Thus, radical inclusion must embrace all. The minute someone is excluded, the process is broken. When people stop listening, the spirit cannot act. The synod is all about welcoming, and any rejection, especially by church officials, signals a failure in being a synodal church. This internal logic of the Synod on Synodality is echoed, emphasized, and repeated in documents and listening sessions. 
Everyone must be included. Everyone that is, except concerned Catholics like me. I confess that I am concerned that this synodal process might be a Pandora's box that could lead to confusion, error, and division. I am not alone. A growing number of cardinals, bishops, priests, and laity share my concerns. Despite these misgivings, I would expect that, in fairness, these Catholics should be treated at least like the many others who have been included. I would hope that synod promoters would listen and give some value to the voice of tradition. That is what synodality is all about. However, those expressing their concerns are met with exclusion. Their views are rejected with a vehemence that I can only qualify as radical exclusion. When bringing up these issues in public, there is an almost rabid refusal even to consider the traditional perspective. Tradition is judged and hanged without a hearing or any listening. These excluded Catholics are not presented with a listening process, but a labeling one. We are dismissed with the label of being backward or even backwardist. We are told that the synod process must always go forward and never go back. Nevertheless, while backwardness is used as an epithet for synod critics, the concept is used favorably by Father James Martin, S.J., one of the synod's 364 voting members. He claims that the Synod is a return to, quote, a form of ecclesial gathering that has existed since the time of the early church, but which fell into disuse, unquote. Catholics are thus told simultaneously to go back and never to go back. Evidently, there are some undisclosed criteria as to which backward practices are acceptable and which are not. Another label being thrown around is that of an ill-defined ideology. Anyone who holds a set of certainties and doctrines can be dubbed ideological. However, those voicing their concerns hold nothing different from what the Church has always professed. To quote St. Vincent of Larens, faithful Catholics uphold what has, quote, always been believed everywhere and by all, unquote. For the ideology labeled to correctly apply to these faithful Catholics, their detractors must first show that they are introducing something new that was never taught before. However, the introduction of novel doctrines and changes to morals are not being proposed by faithful Catholics, but by synod promoters. The main reason for this radical exclusion is to eliminate any opposition inside or outside the Synod. The furious attacks upon those with concerns can be reduced to silencing all who disagree. Thus, listening is limited to those who agree with the general Synod program. For Synod promoters, the Spirit speaks through those outside the Church and fallen from grace— but it does not speak to those opposed to the proposed novelties. Whoever disagrees must be radically excluded, lest it ruin the proceedings. 
As journalist Michael Sean Winters concludes in his recent column in the National Catholic Reporter, Synod critics, quote, are not to be listened to, but to be pitied, unquote. This synod anti-listening policy should be loudly denounced. Synod promoters are disingenuous. They claim that theirs is a policy of radical inclusion, but their talk does not match their radically excluding actions. It is hard to claim that the Spirit will spontaneously determine the agenda of the Synod when, by excluding the voice of faithful Catholics beforehand, Synod organizers and their specially trained facilitators will determine what will be allowed in the closed-door discussion sessions and the final synodal documents. An assembly that claims to promote dialogue, but where everyone must agree with the party line, is not a forum for free discussion, but a cause for legitimate concern. While many hot-button moral issues will be discussed at the event, this radically exclusive synodal process will be the main focus. That is why concerned Catholics must make their voices heard. Making this novel process part of how the Church is governed must be protested as contrary to the divine ordained hierarchy established by our Lord Jesus Christ. It would be an understatement to say that the TFP's new book has created a stir worldwide. Even Pope Francis felt the need to speak about it. One of its authors, Julio Loredo, describes the reaction in his essay, The Synod Process is a Pandora's Box, a cry of alarm that raises hopes. Quote, Holy Father, this Synod is arousing much interest. Unfortunately, it also arouses a lot of criticism. I am referring to a book with a prologue by Cardinal Burke that says the Synod will be a Pandora's box from which all kinds of calamities will come out for the Church. What do you think of this position? Do you think reality will overcome it, or will it condition the Synod? Unquote. The Question Addressed to Pope Francis by the well-known Spanish journalist Father Antonio Palaio during his flight back from Mongolia was about the recently published book by the TFPs and sister associations titled The Synodal Process is a Pandora's Box, 100 Questions and 100 Answers. The book, written by Jose Antonio Ureta and me, explains simply and directly what is at stake in the upcoming Synod on Synodality that Pope Francis has convened in Rome. A plan is afoot to reform the Holy Mother Church that could disfigure her divine constitution and distort her magisterium. Father Palaio is a veteran correspondent who has covered ecclesiastical matters in Rome for several Spanish newspapers over three decades. His question shows the concern rife among many promoters of the so-called synodal conversion of the Church, who ask, will the TFP book affect this process? Judging from the plethora of news reports and comments that have appeared around the world in the first week, 
as well as the countless reactions that have reached the authors and dozens of invitations to participate in radio and TV programs, we can safely say that the book has indeed begun to affect the Synod. The banter on the papal plane confirms this. Francis gave an evasive answer, urging people not to be afraid of doctrinal change. Quote, if you go to the root of these ideas, you will find ideologies. Unquote. According to the pontiff, synod critics quote, accuse the church of this or that, but they never make an accusation of what is true. It is made up of sinners. They never speak of sin. Unquote. The TFP book, published in eight languages, immediately attained the bestseller category on online platforms. Amazon placed it first in the Popes and Vatican category. It was sent to all bishops and many pastors worldwide and forwarded to academic, religious, and lay media. Many leading international press organs covered it, from the New York Times to the Washington Post to La Repubblica. Almost every prominent Catholic blog, not to mention social media, has reviewed it with swarms of comments. The book has clearly touched a raw nerve, a hidden yearning in public opinion that found its outlet and erupted like a volcano. Under the title, A Rigged Synod, here is the synodal process, a Pandora's box, a book to understand the issue. The well-known Vaticanist Aldo Maria Valli commented that, quote, A very useful book on the upcoming synod is arriving on the initiative of TFP, the Tradition, Family, and Property Association, an extremely useful book about the upcoming synod, unquote. Marco Tussati, another Vaticanist, reported in his article, Synodal Process, A Pandora's Box. TFP book with Cardinal Burke. Many Italian Catholic news agencies spread the news, including Correspondenza Romana, Mesa in Latino, and Nuova Usola Quotiana. So did the secular press, including the newspapers of the Quotiano Nazionale Group. The book has been enthusiastically received in the Anglo-Saxon world. Cardinal Burke drops bombshell on the Synod of Ideology and Schism, headed the Catholic Herald, Britain's leading Catholic weekly. The article by Diane Montaigne aptly observed, quote, The book's release comes amid growing pushback in the media. On August 14th, the French daily, Le Figaro, ran a lengthy and stinging front-page article by respected journalist Jean-Marie Guinois, accusing the Vatican of moving forward without truly considering the spirituality of French Catholics. Unquote. New book warns of revolutionary threat posed by Synod on Synodality, wrote Vaticanist Edward Penton in the National Catholic Register, the oldest Catholic periodical in the United States, now part of EWTN, the world's largest Catholic journalism group. The authors, Penton says, 
seek to defend the pillars of Christian civilization threatened by de-Christianization, unquote. For his part, writing in Church Militant, Vaticanist Jules Gomes warned, quote, Bombshell book blasts revolution seeking to demolish Catholic Church, unquote. The German agency CNA stated, The term synodality means revolution in the church, warns Cardinal Burke, unquote. Inevitably, the left showed its discontent. Iacopo Scaramuzzi's Peace and Republica, the organ Pope Francis chose to propagandize his ideas when Eugenio Scalfari was its director, is telltale. Quote, Ultra-conservative pamphlet attacks synod. They want to revolutionize the church. Unquote. Warning that, quote, Ultra-conservative Catholics are sharpening their weapons ahead of the fall synod assembly. Scaramuzzi writes, The pamphlet, titled Synodal Process, A Pandora's Box, is published by the Association Tradition, Family, and Property, an old acquaintance in the Vatican, unquote. In contrast, Austin Ivory, Pope Francis's biographer, chose X, the former Twitter, to denounce Cardinal Burke's, quote, anti-synod cannonade, unquote, in the TFP book. Famille Chrétienne, the French version of the Italian weekly Famiglia Christiana, also published a long article about it. It is impossible to list the hundreds of news stories that have appeared. From Washington to London, Buenos Aires to Paris, Manila to Dubai, and particularly in Italy, the book on the Synod process is experiencing a success that has somewhat surprised everyone. What is the reason for such an explosion of interest? An article by Nikos Buntoni in Il Journal may shed some light on this question. Under the title, The Synod of Fears, An Heir of Schism in Francis's Church, Spuntoni writes, The closer the first session of the 16th Ordinary General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops, which will last from October 4th to 29th, 2023, approaches, the more tensions increase in the church. With just over a month to go before it starts, other prelates have begun to make explicit their fears about what might happen in the church after the assembly. Coincidence or not, the TFP's book seems to have uncovered not a Pandora's box, but a cornucopia of problems, bringing to the surface very profound feelings of the real people of God and encouraging many faithful. In a theological sense, we could almost speak as a propitious moment of grace. The book, Synodal Processes a Pandora's Box, is not intended to present any new doctrine or to expound its author's ideas, but rather to recall traditional church doctrine on the topics discussed. It is based exclusively on the official documents of the Synod of Bishops and the International Theological Commission and authoritative comments by cardinals and bishops. Finally, the book deals with well-documented facts known to all.
Therefore, the TFP book cannot be branded as ideological unless one clearly states where the Catholic doctrines invoked are wrong, where the concrete facts cited and documented are falsified, and which comments by cardinals, bishops, priests, and scholars do not correspond to the truth. The work is written in a spirit of reverent love for the Holy Mother Church and obeys Pope Francis's oft-formulated call for candid speech. We do not understand why speaking with serenity, frankness, and respect based on official documents and proven facts would be an ideological maneuver. Many commentators have highlighted the book's serene tone— and its clear intention to be always respectful and reverent toward authority in the Church. Why, then, such reactions? Allow us to formulate a hypothesis. With the increasing circulation of this book and similar studies and statements, it is becoming clear in the eyes of the public that a large part of the people of God does not feel adequately represented in the synodal processes, bureaucratic ways, and by many of its proposals. The number of people consulted for the preparation of synod documents is derisory. In many cases, it does not exceed 2% of practicing Catholics. It has become clear that the Synod on Synodality is almost exclusively the work of often radical minorities who claim to speak for everyone. They say we must walk together, while the truth is that too many people were not even informed of the journey. Moreover, a significant part of Catholic public opinion is beginning to show disquiet at the excessive invocation of the Holy Spirit as a propeller of the synodal process. This invocation, made as it were in a definitive and final decree, seems to belie the excessive haste of progressive minorities to impose some largely debatable issues and other teachings that the Church's magisterium has already closed definitively. Suppose we add this to the synodal document's often hermetic language, understandable only to insiders. In that case... We understand how the real people of God feel, lost and confused, perplexed and even disappointed, to paraphrase John Paul II. TFP's synodal process is a Pandora's box, has come out precisely in this confusing and seemingly inexplicable situation. By explaining what is at stake simply and directly, this book has put together the pieces of a puzzle. Based on statements by its leading advocates, the work made it clear that the synodal process is neither transparent nor spontaneous, but yet another attempt to revolutionize the Church. Many of the faithful have felt mocked and have begun to raise their voices, so that people began to make explicit their fears about what might happen in the church after the assembly. The future is in God's hands through the universal mediation of Mary Most Holy. However, one thing is certain. 
any attempt to change the church's divine constitution or infallible doctrine is hopeless. As our Lord Jesus Christ founded the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. This concludes, How many Catholics will be excluded from the supposedly inclusive synod on synodality? Thank you for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. We publish a new episode every week as Tuesday becomes Wednesday at midnight. You can hear our programs in two ways. The first is to subscribe through your favorite podcast provider. Another is to go to our website, www.returntoorder.org, and click on the podcast link at the top of the page, which will take you to a list with the most recent podcast on top. Listeners can help Return to Order be more effective by giving us a five-star rating with their favorite podcast service. Subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will find the Return to Order moment online. We would also like to recommend Mr. John Horvath's book, Return to Order. It is available as a free download on our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2023 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property. TFP.